All right, as we dive in, why don't you go ahead and grab your bulletin, and we're going to dive in into the notes this morning. Uh, let me ask you this question. Uh, when was the last time uh, that you lost sleep, and, and what was it about? You know, just think about the last time you just kind of lost sleep, and, and what was it about? Uh, oftentimes, I, I'd say even nine times out of ten, most of the time, it, it's, it revolves around a relationship. I don't know if it's whether uh, a dating relationship, maybe with your spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's stuff relationally that's happening at your office. Isn't it interesting that like in the work environment that uh, the work can be overwhelming and really hard, uh, but you can kind of do that, but when relationships aren't going well at work, then everything seems to unravel. Uh, this morning, we want to take a second and a little pause uh, instead of out of the book of Mark and teaching through that. Uh, we want to talk on friction and, and how to grow, uh, not in friction or how to grow in conflict, but how to grow through uh, conflict, how you, growth can actually happen as a result of um, friction or conflict. And I thought it was kind of ironic that uh, the night we had, uh, we're going to speak on friction, one major friction happened. Anybody wake up because of the earthquake last night? Yeah? I slept right through it. <laughs> oh, you did too? as my daughter. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. And, and I thought that was kind of interesting too because a lot of times there's times when you're in conflict or friction but you have no idea, especially us guys, you know, you have no clue and yet there's rumbling happening. Uh, a little background on me, uh, I've been married, many of you know this, like almost 12 years now, have three kids uh, that are ages almost 10, 7, and uh, 4. And one of the things that I remember when we first got married, first year of marriage, is we experienced a ton of friction or a ton of conflict. And, and I had this idea that if I married the right person, then everything would work out right, and it was really, it, life was going to be easy. And so we experienced all this friction. I, had, I literally had this thought, maybe I married the wrong person. I was like, oh my gosh, or you're in and I screwed up, or maybe I'm the wrong person. And it was like this really frightening deal. I mean, we argued about the silliest things. I remember arguing uh, about uh, what you would put pizza in, leftover pizza, you know, because Jenny put it in foil and I put it in Tupperware. We grew up in my house, you put it in Tupperware, you know, and I like it because you can see in there and you can see what kind of pizza, you know, so you, it's not like hidden, it's not like this thing you got to unwrap, you can see exactly what pizza you have. And so, like, I remember having pizza, I mean, this sounds, so, I mean, it's Chicago, so it's Chicago style pizza, it's good pizza, uh, but I mean, we're, we're having this argument, like knock out, drag out argument about what you store pizza in. And she won, by the way. To this day, you put it in foil now in our house. But if you put it in a Tupperware now, I can't even find it. You put it, I'm like, where's the pizza? Oh, we ran out of foil, put it in Tupperware. And, and I just, it was those things. We constantly got into, we had friction. Uh, one of them was uh, uh, just in the way we said things. Because uh, we were living in downtown Chicago when we were first married, and and I'd ask my wife, and some of you know this, I'd ask her, hey, are you ready to go? And she would say yes. And she would lie to my face because she was not ready to go. 
Are you ready to go? And she would say yes. And so I'd be bundled up in winter gear, like waiting, but I'm in a, you know, heated, you know, warm apartment, but I'm starting to sweat with my toboggan on or beanie on, however you call it, and, and everything. And she's like still in the bathroom. Like, what's going on? And then finally, you know, we'd get into these big arguments. And, and then uh, I asked, uh, I'm like, you tell me you're ready to go, but you're not ready to go. And she's like, Ryan, I am ready to go. I am dressed. But I still have other things that I want to get ready before we go. What? Like from a guy, that makes no sense, you know. And so I finally started asking a different question. It was like, are you ready to go out the door? And when she said no, I'd sit on the couch and read a book or something and wait. So, but here's what we know to be true. Every relationship no matter how good or how godly, we'll experience friction. And we tend to believe that if it's a really good relationship, it won't experience friction or conflict. If you're really, really godly, you won't experience friction or conflict. And, and the truth is, every single relationship whether it's with a family member, whether it's with a spouse, whether it's with a friend, whether it's at church, Maybe it's in your missional community. Every relationship at some point in time will experience friction, no matter how good or godly. And so let's look at a few kind of just baseline things about conflict as we talk about this. Conflict, first of all, then, is normal and inevitable. It's normal. It's something that's going to happen. It's inevitable. You can't stop it from happening. There's a few reasons why. Uh, the re- first one is we live in a fallen world. We, we've experienced conflict because even if you don't really believe in the whole God thing and you don't believe in the whole, you're not basically a religious or church person, you'd still look around at the world around you and say, it's broken. You still look around and go, man, there, there's some stuff messed up. And we would just call it a fallen world, that, that life isn't designed or the world isn't operating as it was meant to be. It's broken. And so we experience friction. Another is we have differing beliefs. Uh, you know, uh, Acts 15, 135 is this story where, you know, um, in the early church is the first real big conflict over, you know, beliefs. And it was whether you needed to be circumcised, whether to be saved or not. And there's this massive conflict about it. And they wrestled over this. Thankfully, they landed, hey, you don't need to be circumcised, you know, which is good news for some of you guys to be saved. And we'll leave it at that. That's why we won't go any further than that. But we have differing beliefs. We live in a fallen world. Some of us, we, we have differing beliefs and as, as a result have conflict or a different perspective. And in your notes there, it says Acts 36, 41. It's actually Acts chapter 15, verse 36, 41. It's li- literally two really godly guys, Barnabas and Paul. And Paul's the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He's the guy that wrote all these letters that we read of in the New Testament. And then Barnabas, I mean, his nickname is Son of Encouragement. This is the guy that when you're around him, you, you know, he's like blowing wind in your cell. It's like, hey, you can do it. We're for you. We're behind you. And these two godly guys got into such, what it says, sharp dispute over a guy named John Mark, the guy who wrote actually the gospel that we've st- been studying, that, that they actually split ways. They had a different perspective on it. Barnabas looked at John Mark, and John Mark went out on a missionary journey with them, and as they're out there, uh, it got kind of heated and got a little hard, and so he bailed on them. 
And, but then next time around, they're gonna go out on one of these journeys and Barnabas is like, hey, let's bring my, my nephew, John Mark. And uh, Paul's like, yeah, I don't think so. He belled on us, he's out. And Barnabas, man, a son of encouragement, he believes in people. He's like, no, man, we gotta give him another chance. Paul's like, no, I, I'm gonna take somebody else. And they literally split ways. Two really godly guys saw the same thing just differently. Uh, another one is we have different preferences or personality types. You know, some of you are introverted, some of you are extroverted, and when you get around one another, you kind of, you, you create friction. Some of you are really structured and organized, and some of you are unstructured and could be even disorganized, and as a result, it creates some friction. We have different preferences. I recently was on a, uh, a surf trip to Mexico with my brother, and there's seven of us total, and so we're taking two cars, and I was, I was in a, um, a car, and we'll call him Kyle, because that's his name. And, and Kyle is just one of these awesome guys, full of energy, full of life. He's an elementary school principal, amazing, amazing guy. But we just have vastly different preferences on music, you know? And when you're in a car driving from here to Mexico for 12 hours, that's a big deal, you know, and so on the way down, he's like, he was all excited. He's like, hey, man, I just came across this. Someone had made, made me this, um, this mixtape. I'm like, awesome. Um, 120 songs. And it had some like really old school stuff from the 90s, which we're kind of reminiscing on, but it was still a little awkward. So it was like that, uh, don't speak, I know what you're, you know that song? <laughs> which is not cool when you're in a car of guys, you know? That might be okay if you're like driving with a girl and you're like, okay, yeah, this is, I can deal with this. Huh? No doubt? Yeah, thank you. It's literally no doubt. Uh, but... But then there, but then there all of a sudden is like about an hour of Spanish rap, you know, and I'm like, and he's just like, dude, I mean, he's just like, I mean, just kind of singing along to the song. He knows all the words, you know, and, and he's like the most peppy, joyful guy. And, you know, I like just kind of Coldplay and some of those sort of, you know, like none of that, like four hours straight of this CD caused a little bit of friction. On the way up, by the way, he was on the way back up. We're like trying to take control, me and my buddy Chris, of the music. And so we're like trying to play, you know, um, some, some different songs and trying to introduce them to kind of our preference. And, and then he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, hey, let me play this. And he plays, um, oh, what was it? We're stuck for a couple hours in line at the Mexican border. And he plays Alison Krauss. Now, which is nice. I mean, I'm sure you like Alison Krauss. It's just not cool with three dudes in a car, and you're sitting windows down as you're, like, stuck traffic, and he's blaring it, you know, and you're like, cool. And then there's about three hours of Irish folk uh, punk music, Irish folk punk music, because he was in an Irish folk punk band. He played the penny whistle. Uh, anyways, that was way too long. But we have different preferences. We have different personalities, and as a result, you have friction. It's not, by the way, it's not a right or wrong issue. We make it right or wrong issues. It's not a right or wrong, it's just preference. Uh, and then finally, there's, and this is, I think, the dominant reason why we experience friction is, is selfishness. It's just, you want it to be about you. Me, my needs, my wants, my desires, and my time in my way. And the first thing, if you get married, that you will understand or come to realize, I hope and pray, it should be the first aha of marriage, is how very selfish you are. Because you're making this 
fundamental transition from the me-centered life to the we-centered life. And so you realize, man, how selfish I am. Then you start to have kids, and it's like, wow, I didn't know I was that selfish. But when life revolves around you, it causes conflict. So conflict, first and foremost, is normal. It's inevitable. But conflict is an opportunity to grow. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way. It's actually an opportunity to grow. Conflict's a double-edged sword. It'll either make you or break you. It'll either build up a relationship, strengthen a relationship, or it'll break it down and pull it apart. I, I love the Proverbs that says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or one woman sharpens another. And we think, oh man, what a great, great verse. I love that. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? As iron sharpens iron, let's be in the community. W- what happens when iron hits iron? You have banging out, what else? Sparks. Yeah, sparks occur. Friction occurs. Pain. A beating. Think about this. And God's saying that's the process because in us, there's some things that God can only do in you as a result of friction. There's some barnacles on your soul that need to be scraped clean and it happens in the uh, context of conflict. And yet we often run from it. See, because conflict is an opportunity to grow. Now, if that's true, why is conflict so hard to resolve? Why is it that we don't often avoid it instead of dive into it? And let me give you a few reasons here. And uh, I'm indebted to a guy named Tim Lundy who spoke uh, at our uh, winter retreat. He did a message on conflict, and uh, I ripped off some of these just straight from him. So I thought I'd let you know right away uh, because it was great. I don't actually know where you could get the talk, so here's the B version of it. Uh, but why is conflict so hard to resolve? Uh, and Proverbs 14.2 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way in which we think this is the way it should work, but actually what it does is it leads to death. It reminds me, I was at BJ's this last week celebrating my kids' start of school, and I was thinking, okay, it's time to kind of get in a rhythm, get healthy, and so I'm going to have a salad, which I hate salads, but I want to, you know, I want to be healthy and but I looked at BJ's, and thankfully they had the calorie count right there. You ever notice this? A BJ's, and I got nothing against BJ's, but a BJ's salad and a burger are the same calorie count. There's a way that seems right and healthy salad, but in the end leads to gordo. You know, I mean, that's just like, that's just the truth. There's some things that we do that intuitively we think are helpful, and in actuality they are hurtful. Here's a few of them. We often choose the wrong moment. The reason conflict's so hard is we often choose the wrong moment. We choose one when we're stressed, when we're upset, when we're under pressure. We choose it when we're tired or overwhelmed. And the reason conflict's so hard is, is in those moments, we, we, just have, we choose the wrong moment to actually address issues. And so, you know, the worst time to talk about finances is when you're doing your finances under pressure, writing that check. Take time away from that, and okay, you know what? We're not going to address, we got to pay this, but we need to have a space where we're not under this pressure of like, oh my gosh, because you'll get in a fight every single time. Uh, first, we have the wrong moment. moment. Second, we have the wrong uh, emotion. Uh, Proverbs fifteen eighteen says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who's patient calms a quarrel. Uh, and anger, anger is one of these, it's always a secondary emotion. 
When you respond in anger, it always fuels things. I love how Proverbs 15.1 says it. It's actually the next one uh, on, on the thing there. But it, Proverbs 15.1 says, A harsh word stirs up anger, and yet a gentle uh, response uh, turns away wrath. Anger, yeah, I heard someone say it this way, anger is like the alcohol of the emotions world. The more you have, the less control you have. And, and that you just begin to give way. Anger gives way to anger. And we choose the wrong moment when we're, when we're angry, when we're upset. Uh, I was... Uh, the, uh, not it was a while ago, I was at the Karate Kid movie. Remember that? The, old, the new Karate Kid movie, but it was a long time ago. With my kids, and there's this guy in front, and I didn't notice, but Ryder was kind of kicking his um, chair a little bit, and I, I mean, I, I just missed it. But he turned around, and he like yelled at us, at, like at Ryder, hey, stop kicking my chair. And then he moved over one, and they kept looking at us, and like the dad in me just wanted to like go, dude, I think I could take you. I mean, karate kid, let's see, let's, you know, we'll just, ooh, we'll do this, all right, we'll come on. And, and there's something about the dad in you that just wants to, you know, protect your kids, and like, and this guy was really intense, really, and I'm like, I had tickets for my parents, and I had to go get them, and I'm afraid of leaving my kids, and with this crazy guy here, and I run out and get them, and I come back in, and I just realize, okay, that Proverbs 15, 7, uh, harsh words stirs up anger, but a gentle response turns away wrath. So I just lean over to him and I said, hey man, I didn't notice my son kicking you. I'm sorry about that. And literally he gets up and he goes, <laughs> like, okay, maybe I couldn't have taken you, sensei. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but a lot of times conflict's hard to resolve because we have the wrong emotions. We react out of anger instead of respond uh, to it. We use the wrong method. Uh, maybe it's the win at all costs. That's your personality. That's your method of like, I'm going to win this. We've got to finish this. I'm going to win. No matter even if there's bodies laying everywhere, we're going to win this. Maybe it's peace at any cost, and you're going to avoid everything, and you're going to run from it, and you don't want to do... Uh, Anything. You just go, hey, no, no, no. We need peace at any price. It doesn't matter. Don't talk about it. Ignore it. Maybe it's a tit for tat where everything's got to be fair. If you did this, then you do this. Maybe there is the idea of shame. Maybe you guilt and blame, really defensive and respond. Oftentimes, conflict's hard to resolve because we use the wrong method. And finally, we, we lack personal objectivity. This is the hardest one. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Would it be that we could finally admit that I may not see it the right way? My perspective may not have the whole picture in view. That maybe the way I see it and the lens in which I see it is just simply my perspective and it, there might be another way to see it. Part of that is just simply admitting, I don't see the whole picture. I don't understand it. Um, I love the saying, uh, I got this, I don't remember where, but uh, that no matter how flat a pancake, there's still two sides. And oftentimes that's still true in conflict. Is we kind of see it as a one-sided deal, and so we, we begin to attack the other person. Instead of realizing, you know what, there's, there's two people involved in this, and generally, there's two people that own some sort of responsibility in this, and beginning to have some objectivity, and be stepping outside, and you know, I may not see it uh, exactly right, and so here's what we know, no matter how good or godly you are, you're going to experience 
friction or conflict. Conflict's normal, it's inevitable, and conflict is an opportunity to grow. So, how do we begin to grow as a community? Because this will revolutionize and shape how we do church together. This will revolutionize and shape how you do relationships with your friends and with your families and with your, whether you're dating or with your spouse. And the question is, okay, how do we begin to step into this in a way that's actually healthy, that's helpful and not harmful? Uh, and if you write in your notes, it's resolving conflict healthfully. And there's kind of four steps that I have that have been helpful to me, and I hope they're helpful to you. Uh, the first is to define the problem. Define the problem on your own. Um, Proverbs 15, 14 says, The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds folly. And so often, instead of defining the problem, we just simply go on the attack. Instead of defining the problem, we simply begin to just figure out how do we get the other person and when you define the problem on your own, you seek understanding, what, what you realize is, you know, for Jenny and I, the issue wasn't foil or Tupperware. That was not the issue. That's not the problem. The problem is we got two lives that are wanting their own way and to do it their way. And this is the way I grew up. And this is my history and my heritage. And that was what is that conflict and our stories of our two lives becoming one. But you've got to take the time to realize, okay, a lot of the tit-for-tat stuff that we talk about isn't actually the problem. Define the problem on your own. How do you do that? Personal examination and private prayer. you just got to stop. You've got to stop and just go, okay, before we dive in, I'm going to stop and personally examine myself. You know, Matthew 7, 3 says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own? Private prayer. God, show me stuff in me. By the way, he'll show you. He will. It, it, it takes some courage to hear. But you just begin to go, okay, God, okay. Personal examination, private prayer. This is, allows you to respond thoughtfully instead of react emotionally. When you begin to define the problem well. I once heard it said that a problem well defined is half solved. I believe that's true, especially in, in conflict resolution. Uh, and then, uh, if necessary, seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. The wisest person on the face of the planet, Solomon, King Solomon, he said this over and over, talked about getting counsel. The wisest person talked about seeking wise counsel. No, this does not mean tell all your friends about everything and figure out how to get them on your side. This is not, leave that encrypted funky message on Facebook you know, that everyone knows who you're really talking about or what the issue really is, and then, you know, ask for, oh, would you pray for me? That's bull. That's not, that's not helpful. That's not seeking wise counsel. Oh, I really need guidance in here. I have a certain someone in my life that's just blah, 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 blah. Ladies, okay. I don't, I, I don't see guys doing it as often, sorry. Um, but it, some guys do. But that's just crap, Okay. And, and us Christians, we try to spiritualize it and call it a prayer request when it's not seeking wise counsel. It's just finding people who will agree with your perspective. Seeking wise counsel is choosing a, a trusted friend or mentor, hopefully that knows both of you and can give you some, some perspective on each side of it. Not someone who's just going to take your side. So first, define the problem. Then second, set a time to talk. Did you know 
that the Bible thinks it's such a big deal to set a time to talk that it says you should do that instead of go to church. That that's way more important. Jesus said it this way. He said in uh, Matthew uh, 5.23, he said, Therefore, if you're offering a gift uh, at the altar, and then there remember that your brother has something against you. If, if you're in the middle of giving back to God as an act of worship, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and then first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So this is such a big deal. Set a specific time to talk. First, in person, whenever possible. Not in texts, not in messages, not in emails. Do it in person. Research shows that in conveying meaning in words, that only 7% of meaning is conveyed in, through the actual words. 38% is conveyed through the tone of a person, 55% in all the nonverbal cues that you have. So when you're trying to communicate and you only do a text or you only do an email, you have knocked out 93% of the way you can communicate effectively with that person. And you, by the way, you let them fill in the gaps for you. And so they're going to read it with their tone of how they assume you're acting, not with your heart. They're going to read it and make some assumptions. And we do this and we think, well, it's easier. Well, I don't really want to deal with it. Or I, you know what? That's... <laughs> Do it in person, face-to-face, and then as soon as possible. Oftentimes, the sooner the better. Ephesians 4.25 says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Keep short accounts with people. Because we often think, you know, if I just avoid it, it will go away. Uh, when, I, uh, when I was in Georgia, we lived in Georgia for about three years, I had three things that I tried to avoid not dealing with, and I reaped the consequences of it. And ever since then, I've, I've learned, okay, I'm going to deal with things right away. And I was a procrastinator until these three things happened. I, I had a drip underneath my sink, I had a leaky um, water heater, and I had a squeaky car. And I, I just thought, you know, I kind of was like, I just procrastinated. I didn't want to deal with it. It was kind of a hassle. And so, go, God, would you kind of fix those? Squeaky car. Drove it for a long time. Eventually, the engine blew. Yeah, an, an oil check would have been nice. I didn't, uh, I didn't take care of the water heater, and it was constantly dripping. Ended up happening that mold began to grow, and it grew through the other side of our pantry. Had to rip that out. Not only new water heater, but then had to rip out the, the pantry and replace all of the, uh, the um, sheetrock and everything. And the same thing under the sink. True is the same with relationships. Dismissing, avoiding, it feels okay in the present but it often has long-term consequences that you don't want to live with, and the problems just get bigger. Ignoring it or avoiding it, it, it all only just pushes it aside for a second. And here's what happens is when you have a conflict with someone, is, is what happens when you don't address it, it becomes this internal dialogue, internal uh, perspective, the way you begin to see and interpret how they behave. So they may do something, and you begin to make assumptions because you never dealt with that issue. And they say something like, oh, yeah, she's always that way, or he's always that way. Yeah, you, you know, acting the same. And you just begin to make broad assumptions, and it will just tear that relationship apart. So oftentimes, set a time to talk in person, whenever possible, 
and sooner the better. Step one, to find a problem. Step two, set a time to talk. Step three, then, address the problem, not don't attack the person. Address the problem, don't attack the person. Take time to figure out, okay, what's the real issue? What's the core thing? You get time. Now, hey, let's, let's address the real issue and not attack the person. This is huge. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is how my wife and I, over the years, as we were at a one-day marriage conference, and I came away with this one question. It was powerful. And it's been so powerful. And if you've been around for a while, you've heard this question a bunch. The question is simply, what's the most generous explanation for their behavior? What's the most generous explanation for their behavior? Oftentimes, we assume the worst explanation for their behavior. When they do something, we think, oh, they just wanted to get at me, or oh, they're such jerks, you know? Uh, Philippians 4 says, you know, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's praiseworthy, if anything's excellent or of, of good repute, think about such things. Now, apply that, think about that with a close friend, a family member, your spouse, Whatever's true, whatever's noble, if anything's excellent, praiseworthy. Instead of hey, whatever, whatever, <laughs> jerk. He's, he's always that way. We jump to the worst case explanation for people's behavior. It's in our nature. When, when uh, early on, uh, uh, Jen and I had it this way. I like to think of myself as an organized person, but in a particular way. And my wife, her organizational system is one of piles. And so she'll take my organization and put them in piles. And I hate piles. They stress me out. They freak me out. I see them. I, I want to avoid piles. If I see a pile, I don't want to deal with it. I just want to... And so, in, you know, first like five, six, seven years of our marriage, I, I'd come home and I'd find a pile of my stuff on my side table. And I'd go, Jenny, I hate piles. I can't even think. When I see a pile, like I, I blow a circuit. And can you stop piling my stuff? And sure enough, I'd come back later and there'd be another pile. And I'd get mad and I'd jump to this conclusion. She knows I hate piles, so she's doing that to get at me. She's doing that to mess with me. See, I, I'm, I'm a free organizer is the way I organize. I like to free organize around the house. And so I put my keys here and I put my wallet there. And, you know, I want to be able to see everything. And in piles, you can't see everything. All of a sudden, I switched my perspective when I started to ask this question. What's the most generous explanation for her behavior? And it wasn't that she's out to get me, that she's angry at me, that she's just wanting to be mean it was that my free organization created chaos in our home. It was that my free organization, she's trying to create a home that's loving and welcoming and clean and orderly, and I leave my stuff everywhere, and that's really frustrating to her. And so it's taken us years to find some common ground of like, okay, I can't do piles, so I need a place where I can have my stuff, and that's not touched. And we keep, we've worked it out. But I mean, literally, there's one day, I remember slamming the door. I mean, how silly, as stupid as that, that you, but that's happened. That's we often argue over the silliest things. To address the problem, not attack the person. I think first starts with our perspective or understanding. What's the most generous explanation for their behavior? Then focus on one issue, not many. This takes discipline. 
Because in the heat of an argument, you begin to pull from your repertoire of where they've been, what they did, and all the 10 things that you wanted to bring up, and like, well, now's the time, and we're going to hash it out. Focus on one. Focus on the issue at hand. You focus on many, what will happen is you'll just get overwhelmed. You actually won't resolve anything. You'll just bring up more stuff. Focus on one thing at a time. You may bring up something, and here's a great way. You know what? That, you know what? We do need to talk about that. Can we set a time to talk about that? Uh, but w- right now, we're talking about piles, not foil, okay? So let, we'll talk about foil a little bit later. Set a time to talk about one thing, not many. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 15 says, instead, speaking the truth in love will grow up to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, Christ. Here's the important thing. How you say it is just as important as what you say. How you say it is just as important as what you say. It is not okay to say the right thing in the wrong way. It is still wrong. And it will create immense amount of friction. You will not resolve anything. And by the way, that's an area, it's a growth area of mine. My tone, I, I, gen, I generally struggle with with my tone, and honestly, I don't notice it. And my wife's real sensitive to tone. And so that's the area I'm really trying to grow at. It's because how you say it is just as important as what you say. I ignored this, by the way, for so long, and it's caused a lot of pain. And I'm starting, you know, 12 years in to get a grip with it. Language then matters. Uh, Instead of saying, a lot of times the way we start uh, things is you always, or you never, or you ought to. Instead, start with this. It's just kind of, I feel blank when you. And it might feel kind of like you're sitting in a counselor's office or something like that. And, I mean, I've literally had people kind of turn and face each other and, and work on this. And I feel sad when you say that about me. I, I felt deeply hurt when you made those comments publicly about me. I I felt rejected at the party when you acted this way. See, your language matters. Instead of that blaming, that this is, hey, here's how it impacted me. And not saying that you always define you're always doing this, is here's a specific action or specific behavior that happened. This doesn't define you, but this is what you need to know is this is how it impacted me. Address the problem. Don't attack the person. Then step four, establish a specific action plan. Establish a specific action plan. Set things right between you. A lot of times we don't set things right. Seek a resolution you can both agree on. Now, I mean, with the, I'm giving you some silly examples, but we, we do, uh, we do foil now. So that's Kind of just gave in. I don't care about Tupperware. But if you put pizza in Tupperware, I cannot find it in the fridge, so it's got to be in foil. We, we, it took us years to figure out organizational stuff, and every once in a while I still do wrestle with that. But what's, what's a resolution you can both agree on? And then learn the lost art of apology. We miss this in our culture. Ask for and give forgiveness. And man, I've sat in my office when I had one uh, with people and had them turn and face and really do this. Because we just don't do this. I, first step, apology, I was wrong. Take ownership for what you own. Quit passing blame. Quit putting it off and going, well, you always, and when you do this, no, here's the area. 
Even if it's like, you know, you're right and they were wrong, but you reacted poorly. I reacted poorly. I am sorry. And as a result, this happened. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. You know what I'm sorry is? I'm sorry is not this like get out of free jail card. I'm sorry is a confession of it breaks my heart that I hurt you. And so I'm going to change my behavior. That's what it means when you say, I, I'm sorry. Not just like, I'm sorry, okay, whatever, see ya. I'm sorry is, it breaks my heart that this hurt you. And as a result, what I said I was wrong about, I'm gonna change my behavior. Uh, will you forgive me? Forgiveness literally means to release your right for revenge, to let go of your right to pay back. Would you let go of this? And then the reciprocal response is then, I forgive you. I release my right. And literally, I mean, I have people walk through this, but this is powerful when you begin to say this and begin to go through this process of, okay, I'm not, when you forgive someone, I'm not bringing it up in another conflict or another argument. I'm not going to hold this over your head. I'm not going to just kind of poke jabs at you anymore. I release my right. It's not okay to say it's okay because the behavior wasn't okay. I had to do this uh, at Costco a year ago. Uh, you remember? Some of you guys remember this story. I was, I was in Costco, and at Costco, we were, uh, we were along, and there's a guy doing the, um, the kind of show, you know, and he's selling pans, and it was like an infomercial, and I mean, my mouth gets me in trouble at times, and uh, you know, he's doing his deal, and it's like one of these like, and you can get this, and I throw in not only one pan, but two pans. I mean, he was so animated, and I couldn't help myself. He had a little crowd, and I went, no way, and, and I'm like, Jenny, can you believe it? Get an extra, I mean, it's so loud, and I got a laugh, and I knew I hurt him. And I, and I walked on, and the Spirit of God in me was like, you need to go back and talk to him. And I was like, I'm never going to see him again. What's, what's the point? And I kept walking, and I kept feeling like, no, I need to go back. And I go, finally go back. I'm with my son, and I'm like going, hey, man, I, I don't know if you heard. Oh, I heard. Okay. Okay. I, I, I just wanted to say um, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And he's like, yeah, I forgive you. He's like, hey, um, you don't happen to be a Christian. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Yeah. Oh, cool. Do you know of, um, ah, me too. Um, do you know of a church I can go to? Um, well, there's Venture. Uh, that's a great, great church that you can go to. He ended up coming to Awakening Later, we ended up going out to dinner afterwards. It's powerful. When you just simply go, you know what, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? We miss that. It's a lost art. Establish a specific plan of action. And finally, when stuck, get outside help. It is not a problem that you get stuck. You will get stuck in this process. It's only problematic when you don't go get help. It's, it's not, you're not, getting stuck is not like, hey, wow, we're broken. No, everyone gets stuck, by the way. But it's problematic when you don't go get help. And it might be a, a counselor. It might be going to counseling with a friend or your spouse. It might be getting uh, a wise uh, mentor in your life. But get outside help.
finally, here's what I'd like just for you to begin to think, and maybe hopefully it is a little bit of an epiphany about conflict, that you would embrace a new way of doing conflict, where the goal is not winning, but oneness. The, and let me just read this. I was reading it this morning just by happenstance. I was reading, uh, but it's... Um, because I think a lot of times when we, when we hear that, we think marriage. And so there's some that are like, oh, I'm out. One day I'll think about this. Notice what the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian church in uh, Philippians 2. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united, oneness with Christ, if any um, comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, all relational, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, literally of the same mind, and having the same love, that there is this unity, and then he goes on to saying, being one in spirit and purpose. He says, this is true for every follower of Jesus. This is how we're supposed to function. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. See, would we revolutionize how you think about conflict when it's no longer about winning, and it's no longer about being right, it's about oneness. And you think about the other person, you think about that friend, you think about your spouse, you think about that family member, you think about the issue, and you go, the issue and the calling for us as followers of Jesus is oneness, of unity, of heart and mind, not winning. And, and by the way, this is what happens. You'll move from right fighting to fighting for what's right. When you begin to say, okay, it's not about winning. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but instead, think others more highly than yourself. It's about oneness, that you'd prefer others. And so, here's what I just ask you to do. At the bottom of your notes, is there someone that you need to, to take these steps with? I, I mean, who is it? Where, where you go, okay, you know what? There, there's an issue at here that I've been avoiding that I need to address. There's a conversation. I need to set a time to talk. You know what? I need to stop and really define the problem because this has been going on for a long while. I need to start the process. Who is it? Who? Just write it down on your notes. Or you make a mental note if you don't want to do that. And then this week, take the next step. Just, just take the next step. I know it's scary. I do. I know it's hard. But, but, every relationship, no matter how good or godly, will experience friction or conflict. And conflict is the opportunity to grow. In fact, it's a necessary component for you and for me to grow. And if you don't step into it in healthy ways, it'll be either harmful to them and others or to you. And so would you take the next step? Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray. God, thanks for this group. Thanks for the time together. Thanks for uh, the moments where we get to just hear from you. And uh, God, would you give each person in here the wisdom to know what to do? And then the courage to do it even when it's hard. That you just give them the wisdom that, okay, God, this is the next step. And then the courage to take that, God. That we would be a community that, that really cares enough to address hard things and love people well. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Man, it's been a fun morning with you guys uh, and gals. Uh, as you go, would you just, one, just know, man, you are so deeply loved by God, period. And it's out of that context that you can then step into some of these difficult moments. And he leads you in those places because he loves you. Have a great week.